Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lynx Podcast. I'm Joe Passov with my genial co-host, Al Lunsford. And it's great to be with you in December of 2022 as we wind the year down. We've had a year rich with fun podcasts and lots of interesting golf that's gone on. And, um, you know, we love holiday traditions. I mean, that's what we're all about at Lynx after all. But today's podcast, Al, we're going to get away from tradition. We're actually going to focus on our favorite unconventional golf courses. Wide open topic. And by that, I mean the typical modern textbook golf course is 18 holes. Give me 7,000 yards or more. Two par threes on each nine, well-spaced. Two par fives on each nine, well-spaced. Yeah, one flag per hole, a cup of four and a quarter inches in diameter. But you know, Al, if you're a serious traveling golfer, occasionally we all crave something a little different. We don't always go into the ice cream shop and order vanilla, right? So let's discuss a few of our favorite flavors today. And by that, I mean many different categories of unconventional courses. So let's go. All right. First of all, you know, bravo. I asked Joe, you know, speaking of something different, if you've been listening to our podcast, it's usually me who tees up uh, the broken record intro of of welcoming you back to an episode. Uh, I thought I'd let Joe take a spin. He did a wonderful job, as you just heard. So thank you, Joe. Maybe another thing. I I love vanilla ice cream. I mean, ask my wife. I, that's pretty much all I order anywhere. So uh, I'm a conventional man myself. But you know, every now and then, I like to to try something new. So that's a perfect metaphor for what we're going to talk about today. Excellent. And I'll know that next time where, I don't know, once in a while you go crazy with sprinkles or hot fudge or something like that. But my man, Al is into the vanilla ice cream. That is correct. Uh, so we've got plenty of, of things to talk about today that are unusual about golf courses, whether they be characteristics, routing, number of holes, um, or or specific holes that themselves stand out far from the norm. It's hard to know exactly where to begin, so maybe I'll leave that to you, Joe, on on where to start with this conversation. Well, thank you, Al. I know exactly where to begin. (laughs) We begin at the beginning with the most unconventional golf course of all, the old course at St. Andrews. The most unconventional design of all was golf's very first design. In fact, it wasn't even a design. It's a golf course whose golf holes just evolved, basically. Eventually, they were formalized and improved. 
But nature led the way as far back as the 1400s. And it's, you know, it's very interesting because the standard of 18 holes that we use, no matter what our golf course is, comes from the old course at St. Andrews, which at one time was 22 holes. And again, through advances in equipment and maintenance and so forth, um, it was decided that a better fit was 18 holes. And we're going back a you know, couple of centuries. So that's why we have 18 holes all over the place. But the old course at St. Andrews violates every convention, every modern convention that we know. So it's so interesting to think that we have all these 18 hole courses that evolved from the original, but not many courses that adopted the quirk and the unusual features of St. Andrews. So, you know, where do you start with that? Well, you start with, of the 18 holes, 14 of them share these gigantic double greens. Um, bunkers of such variety, uh, sizes and placement, um, and many of them with their own names. They're so infamous. A public thoroughfare, granny winds, uh, cr uh, wind, I should say, um, crossing the 18th hole as you play it. And it's in play. <laughs> you don't get relief off it. If you're on it, you got to play it. Uh, and other scratchers, like the current version of the last hundred years of the road hole, where you basically have to drive over an active hotel. Uh, so there's just all kinds of quirk. And everything else that has followed, you know, owes its debt of gratitude to the old course at St. Andrews. So... Uh, you may want to hear and are ready for Al's voice, but, um, you know, maybe the place I'll start with unconventional courses, Al, as it was modeled somewhat after St. Andrews, uh, is a course near and dear to me because it's so close to my house in Arizona, is the Renegade course at Desert Mount in Scottsdale. And, uh, you know, uh, years ago when it debuted, 1987, uh, it was called the most versatile course in the world. And uh, what that's all about is because Renegade uses a two green or two flags per individual green system in homage to the old course at St. Andrews. That's what designer Jack Nicholas and original developer Lyle Anderson had in mind when they did that. What makes this work so well is that there are greens and positions on greens where you hit to a white flag, which is generally a shorter, much easier uh, hole location, meaning the green surrounds uh, are softer, just easier to access for players who want that kind of challenge. And then you have the gold flags and gold hole locations, depending if it's two greens or one green, and that's for folks who want more of a challenge. Step up and do that. So tougher green surrounds, more contouring around the hole. And um, you know what? It's a gimmick, but it's a gimmick that worked beautifully. And Desert Mountain had a little tweak from Jack Nicholas himself about three years ago. And these days it's, wow, seven sets of tees. Two separate greens still for many holes, two separate flags on the same double green for others. And uh, again, 
you have all that mountain scenery, saguaro cacti all around. Uh, it's it's just very special and unconventional. And that's across the board. They every single hole has two flag options. Is that right? Correct. That's wild. I I just played a like a member event out in San Diego. I uh, was invited to play where they had a day where there were two flag positions per hole and this course only had one green per hole, not no double greens or anything like that. Um but it was a you know, a friendly hole position and then a not so friendly hole position. Dare I say a unfriendly hole position that the the format was interesting because you could do you had to pick the hard hole at least three times uh, over the course of nine and based on the scoring it was it was worth more if you did well on those harder holes um is it is it mixed for someone who plays around at desert mountain is it uh you commit to playing one set of flags or you can choose to play either one based on if you want to post a score correct yeah for posting purposes um it's helpful to pick a a set of tees you know any of the seven and then pick your set of flags and their slope and rating for each and every one of those um but you know you're free to mix and match if you want throughout the round uh and, and do it that way as well so you know even if you want to work on your game in some way or you're playing with a certain group of individuals who maybe can't handle the gold flags and those placements. So if you want more challenge, Hey, move it back to 7,000 yards, but play for the easier white hole locations and pin positions and, and so forth. Um, Maybe another day you want to test yourself with your short game, move up to 6,300 yards and play to the tough flags. So amazing flexibility and um, understandable why you know, a famous architecture critic called it the most versatile course in the world. I've seen the double green quite more often than I would see the the second two greens on one hole um, appear. You know, obviously a place like Landman that just opened with their gigantic greens, they're able to put two flags for two different holes on. I even saw it on such a short course as Goat Hill Park that I just played, had a double green uh, there. But the two green feature, I've in my memory, I only have ever seen that once elsewhere, and that was the West Course at Belfair in Bluffton, South Carolina, um, right next to Hilton Head. Uh, their sixth hole is a short par four that has two different green options for players to choose from. There's a left one that's easier, more accessible, and a right one that brings a water hazard into play. So a little bit more challenging. Uh, but that's the only place I can remember seeing that elsewhere. Do you have, either way, do you have any other examples that you know of, of two greens or other double greens you've seen different places? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, out here in Phoenix, we have a municipal golf course that appeared around 1979 or 80 that has a triple green. And, um, you know, you can imagine all the fun and excitement. Uh, that's a Cave Creek Muni when folks show up and everybody's having a putting party. Uh, the two green concept, I, I don't know how many times I've seen it where it's used throughout. 
uh, and or double greens throughout. There are many, many courses, including one of the most famous of all, Pine Valley, that give you alternate greens, but you're only shooting for one day. The hole is cut the day you play on a certain spot. I think there's some others floating around out there. Maybe you who are listening can chime in with a few suggestions uh, where you might actually have a choice of which one you want to play that day. But multiple examples of another green, which can be used on one day and alternated. Uh, lovely old club out in uh, the Hollywood, L.A. area called Lakeside. Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and, and many folks where their 15th hole uh, has a a 95-yard par 3 to a short, beautifully designed wild green. But they also have a 160-yard version of the same hole with a green tucked in a little farther away. So, you know, it helps on maintenance at times if you have the room to maintain both of those. And for variety, for members who, yeah, hey, you know what? Twice a week, let's play this version. So that's definitely unconventional. Yeah, that brings up a good point that I was going to talk about too. And another wrinkle of that is uh, the alternate hole that comes into play. Not necessarily two greens on the same hole, but but actually some clubs have completely different holes that you can choose to play on the card, giving them a scorecard with more than 18 or a different number than 18. Two examples I know of, one I just played, the Grand Golf Club in San Diego, Tom Fazio designed at the Fairmont Grand Del Mar had a 12B hole. So uh, it is used when they have to to do work on a different hole. I want to say it was maybe the 14th hole they were working on when I played. So 12B, you get to the 12th hole. There's um, a short par three over a lake that they've they've added a green site to. So next to the the tee boxes for the normal 12th hole, which is a par five, uh, uphill par five, long distance, like about, so the difference between 12 and 12B is, I think 12 was 600 yards from the back. 12B was like 125. So big difference, but um, you hit your tee ball on 12B, then you hit, your T-ball on 12A. Then you walk around and go finish on 12B, pick up, and then walk to your your fairway, your second shot for for 12A. Um, So that was unique. Uh, Another one that I've played I know of with alternate holes is Hague Point, Defusky Island across from Hilton Head Island. Part of the fun there is their seaside course, both their 8th and their 17th holes have two greens to choose from. So, in effect, they have 20 holes on the scorecard, and you can play uh, a different course, you know, four different times out of the week, if you so choose. I think I got that combination right. Uh, Maybe it's just three, but you can play several versions of that course, if you so choose, depending on which one fits your eye on a given day. Any any of those you know of with, with alternate holes like that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, those were great examples that you just picked. And and I, and I know that there are, you know, a, a number of examples out there. Uh, I remember playing uh, Bear Mountain out in Western Canada, you know, that, again, had a hole that could be taken out of play in any one day for maintenance. So we have another par three sitting around for you 
to add on to the round. Great flexibility, you know, for a given golf course if they have the space and the maintenance and a little variety for the folks that play there on a regular basis. So um, I know there's there's definitely examples through, across the spectrum, but to Hague Point in particular, with two really tough holes that basically said to folks, if you can't handle the rigors of these two, we're going to give you two, say, friendlier options, and you can still complete your round and, and post your score. One of the things you talked about, maybe you didn't say it, but uh, with the old course, going back to that conversation, is it's designed so that it can be played in reverse, right? And they do that at least once a year um, where they have an event and and actually do play the old course in reverse. Uh, That's something a reversible routing has kind of become in vogue recently, I think. There's several good examples of that. With more on the way. Right. So the one, the ones I know of, uh, Sylvie's Valley Ranch, you've probably heard us talk about that place. So Dan Hickson's 18-hole designs, the clockwise is the Craddock course. If you play it counterclockwise, it's called the Hankins course. Uh, they also just added a reversible putting course there is their newest amenity. It's called Claire's Course, uh, designed to be played uh, in two different routings in reverse. So um, another I know of that I haven't played is the loop at Forest Dunes, red and black routings. And recent news has come out that back in, in Bluffton, I keep going back there, Really unconventional place, it turns out. Uh, King Collins, who you know from Landman I mentioned earlier, and Sweetens Cove, uh, certainly is the darling cult course that people identify with. Uh, but King Collins is building a nine-hole course at Palmetto Bluff designed to be played in reverse. And that's going to open, I believe they're going to be finished with it in 2023. Uh, so for members out at Palmetto Bluff, they get a, a new design uh, that can be played one way or the other. You know, Al, that actually is exciting news because if you're talented enough to bring that off, again, we're talking about variety. The chance to play the same golf course, I mean, on the same terrain, but play it two completely different ways, forwards and backwards, so to speak, um, you know, calls for some real talent. And, um, you know, there was a time maybe 30 years ago where uh, a former PGA Tour pro, actually, Joel Goldstrand, who was Minnesota-based, built several reversible courses in Minnesota. Joel just passed away not long ago. And he had accomplished something where it it didn't catch fire, but people admired the artistry, um, you know, that, that he showed in doing these reversible courses. And now here we are. It actually feels like a trend now when architects of the kind of prominence you're talking about from Tom Doak to King Collins, um, you know, if the demand is there for it and the skill is there to be able to bring it off, what fun for the people that get to use them um, all the time. So how about something entirely different then? You think of a golf course pretty much anywhere you play you're going to be faced with, you know, tens, uh, sometimes 
if you get what does St. Andrews have over a hundred bunkers out there, right? So you're most likely going to see uh, a few bunkers on any given course you play, but there are courses out there that are bunkerless that don't have a single sand bunker. Now, a lot of these courses will have what they call grass bunkers, um, which is in effect what a sand bunker would look like without any sand in it. Um, that can add their own challenge and intrigue. Uh, but there's a few examples Joe and I know of. Uh, the one for me that I know and have played is Sheep Ranch, uh, the newest course at Bandon Dunes Golf Resort. Core Crenshaw, it has zero bunkers at all. Uh, but it does have several humps and, and hollows where uh, you're faced with something that is a little bit of different challenge than a traditional bunker, but you know, less maintenance, less upkeep, and kind of more of a raw golf element to deal with, I think, than a manufactured sand bunker. Uh, Joe, there's some others too, right? Yeah, I think in the case of Sheep Ranch, uh, it was decided if they were going to actually pursue this, and they did, you know, that when the wind is blowing, it can be difficult to keep sand, you know, in the bunkers and keep the bunkers, you know, retaining some sort of acceptable shape. Um, and, and this was a case where it's like, let's just rely on contour, um, for the bulk of the challenge. And, um, you know, it's, it's paid off even in a really unconventional way. Um, uh, you know, Al, I've never had a chance to play there, but on the Robert Trent Jones trail, not far from Huntsville, Alabama is the river course at Hampton Cove. Um, again, you think of Trent Jones and you think of these gigantic clover leafy, kinds of bunkers and jagged edge at different times of his career um, built one with absolutely no bunkers uh, in this case, again, kind of a novelty to go play and see how you fare. And I know that in England, there's a handful of excellent golf courses that by law were not allowed to like dig massive holes, if you will, whatever the formal wording of the law is, uh, the architect couldn't do it even if he wanted to. And uh, I know you've got a list together, at least of a few of the, the best examples of those. Yeah. Uh, fortunately for me, I found an article from Evalue 18 that listed several of those bunkerless golf courses in England. So uh, Royal Ashdown Forest, Berkhamstead, uh, are two of the the more well-known names. Painswick Golf Club. Um, there's one called Welsh Pool Golf Club and a few others. But um, yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't actually realize that aspect of it where it was, you know, by law, you couldn't do it. Um, is that just a conservation thing or, or what would that, what would the reason for that be? We'll have to send that to the Lynx legal department and uh, <laughs> research the origins behind that one. Okay. But, uh, you know, Al, uh, golf uh, in and of itself goes back uh, to those ecclesiastic days of um, the Sabbath breakers, right? Uh, no golf on Sunday, you know, not here. And uh, that was the old course at St. Andrews. So, you know, we understand laying out golf courses and even playing them Sometimes, um, you know, it's uh, both law and um, uh, convention from uh, the, the church nearby. Rules are rules, as they say. 
Um, go. Let's go to the flip side of that, though. Uh, Ooh, talking, in, yeah. Uh, in fact, let's go to the 180 degrees diametrically opposed to laws and rules and don't break the Sabbath by playing golf. Let's go straight to racetracks and gambling, shall we? <laughs> I was going to go a different direction, but uh, we both have uh, our own ideas of of 180 degree turns. So we'll do mine after yours. But but yeah, let's let's talk racetrack golf courses. I just figured if we were going from purity to vice, there's some unconventional golf courses out there that uh, we're very fond of uh, that embrace racetracks. Now, uh, some of them are auto racetracks and others uh, involve horses, but it uh, there are several wonderful golf courses that somehow embrace that. And a lot of it goes back to the early days of golf. Um, we remember the uh, U.S. Open venue this year, the Country Club in Brookline, which uh, was a country club. They actually had horse trails and horse racing there in the 1880s. And the horse track was part of the golf course until 1969. So um, that was just an early example. But uh, there are definitely other examples of racetracks of some sort winding through the golf course. And, um, you know, maybe the most famous, at least as far as tracks go, is an auto racing track. And that would be the golf course outside. Well, it's in Indianapolis called Brickyard Crossing. And that is a very special place because the racetrack of the Indianapolis 500 goes right through the golf course. It does. There's several holes that are actually, yeah, the, you cross over the racetrack to, to play them, which I lived in Indianapolis for a year and went to the Indy 500 because something you just have to do if you're, if you're there and around the time of the race. Uh, but I remember, um, during the race at some point deciding to, you know, take a, a break and lay down and, and just kind of rest on one of the golf holes inside the track. Uh, so that was a cool experience, but they also played an LPGA event there and the great part about that was uh, part of the experience for the players was they got to go in a, a pace car around the track uh, before the tournament started. So uh, great, uh, interesting aspect to a golf course being right there next to one of, if not the most famous racetrack in uh, the world of auto racing. Well, Absolutely. You know, Al, uh, Pete Dye, who, of course, is from Indiana, um, he completely redesigned the golf course, which I think was known as the Speedway 500 golf course. And then he did that in 1992-1993, got renamed Brickyard Crossing. Um, there used to be nine holes in, in the infield, so to speak. The new version, uh, now 30 years old, wound up with four holes, holes seven through ten inside the infield. But they used to host a PGA Tour event back in the day. Gary Player won it one time. The great Billy Casper won it three times. And then they had a senior tour, Champions Tour events there. Gil Morgan, uh, David Graham, Aseo Aoki. So, and Mickey Wright won an LPGA event there. 
So a lot of famous names that actually dueled with this uh, golf course uh, that that is bisected by one of the most famous racetracks in the world. Another cool thing they had there in their clubhouse that, you know, I don't know if this can be verified, but there's a picture of the Beatles playing golf at Brickyard Crossing inside their clubhouse. And as far as I know, it's the only documented time the Beatles played golf in the United States. It's there at the Brickyard. Yeah, again, we're going to have to go to our crack research team to uh, confirm that. Or uh, somebody in Indianapolis, can you... Can you give us a call? That's at least the story I was told. So I'm going to run with it no matter what. Um, I, in thinking about this, I know you had one more example. Um, I remember seeing one of our photographers that we use in links is Gary Lisbon. And on his Instagram page, he had posted a picture of this golf course inside a horse track. Um, And that's muscle burr. I'm saying that right again, Joe, kind of like Edinburgh, Musselboro, uh, links in, it's in Scotland, right? And Absolutely. it's encircled by uh, a horse track. The, the pictures are really cool. If you go back to, I'm looking at one from July 16th on Gary Lisbon's Instagram page. Um, and it, it's wild i know it wasn't there when the golf course was originally was originally built but now it's uh, a sight to see i played there in 1993 al that that year keeps coming up i must have been very active that year um and it was an absolute treat because of course they had a famous refreshment house so to speak mrs foreman's pub which folks uh took their time after the fourth hole um and and did but the racetrack was very prominent um, even steeplechase kinds of hazards that golfers had to uh, navigate, negotiate uh, at times. And then I was fortunate a couple of years ago while in Bangkok to play the uh, Bangkok Sporting Club, kind of the who's who of Thailand in Bangkok, our members there. The golf course is one of the most unique urban golf experiences around Um just a par 64 or par 65 these days. And uh, they have a few water hazards. The caddies would actually strip to their shorts and jump in and retrieve a ball if you hit it in there. Um, So I admire them for that, given my well-known frugality and hopefulness on retrieving a lost ball. But this was such a prominent race course that there were giant grandstands. I mean, legitimate you know, permanent grandstands, part of the golf course uh, as the background. So, you know, again, um, if you like to mix a little bit of playing the ponies with uh, uh, playing some interesting golf holes, uh, golf courses with racetracks, great examples of unconventional courses. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I was doing a whole spiel about, you know, the 180 degree turn 
what I was going to say was our conversation about um, unusual bunkers on courses that make for something different. Uh, I know in particular when I talk about Myrtle Beach, at King's North, at Myrtle Beach National, there's a, a set of bunkers on an island green in the shape of the letters SC for the state of South Carolina. Something very different. At least you can see that from above if you're not identifying it as you're playing it. Um, we, and we did a, an article a while ago about strange bunkers in golf. Um, there's a crab-shaped, dungeous crab-shaped bunker um, in Washington State uh, at Cedars. Um, there's another at the Legends at Giants Ridge in Minnesota. There's a bunker shaped like a giant foot, almost as if Bigfoot had took a chunk out of a, a hole there. Um, and and several others. There's the Highland National Golf Course in Minnesota uh, to commemorate Peanuts cartoonist Charles Schultz. There is a bunker shaped like Charlie Brown's dog Snoopy on one hole. I, I think you may have had an example of that too, Joe. Uh, Al, there are multiple examples of symbolism in bunkers out there. And uh, maybe the most famous that comes to mind for me was uh, at Walt Disney World's Magnolia Course, a longtime PGA Tour site, the sixth hole guarded by a Mickey Mouse ears bunker. And uh, they've just redone that golf course, um, uh, reopened not long ago. Uh, so that's exciting that uh, Mickey's back in play at Disney. Al, there's a golf course up in Chicago, top 100 public, called Cantini in Wheaton, which has a bunker shaped like Dick Tracy, the old <laughs> detective, wearing his fedora. So uh, many examples throughout. And, of course, the late, great Desmond Muirhead, uh, totally into symbolism, many, many examples. And, uh, you know, the, again, examples throughout his courses. Um, another great all-time architect, Robert Trent Jones Jr., uh, very much enjoyed uh, some symbolism in in doing bunkers, including the original Princeville golf course where he had lava rock in them, calling them Zen bunkers um, as a, piece, a place of peace and harmony and uh and so forth so um many many examples unconventional features on maybe otherwise conventional golf courses yeah and that kind of lends itself to the last piece at least i had to talk about here um when you think about bunkers themselves and a couple of other unconventional features having to do with bunkers uh maya koba the cenote in the middle of the the fairway on what is that? The first is that's the very first hole, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is a cave essentially uh, underwater at times. And um, yeah, a little bit scary to encounter that on the very first hole of your round. They do call it the devil's mouth. Uh, and if you're not scared by that, there's another bunker um, at Siam country club in Thailand uh, where Brian Curley, the golf course architect, designed uh, a bunker that is 20 feet deep with a double wall of eight-foot-long sections of concrete uh, that looks like railroad ties that is called the Wall of Death. 
credit to Brian. Uh, he <laughs> loves thinking outside the box, and uh, he's done, uh, you know, on behalf of Schmidt Curley, um, so many golf courses in Asia. And once in a while, you've got to come up with something that's different. Um, and that particular uh, bunker, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's about as scary as they come, right? So uh, I can see the uh, scorecard writing says here, local tip, avoid the wall of death. <laughs> well, um, and what's what's the one called at PGA West that you're faced with the the massive bunker you have to hit out of? Uh, yes, on the 16th. Yeah, the par five, sixteenth, and uh, I again maybe this maybe oh this will gosh. come to me. Yeah, San Andreas fault. That's it. Ah, thank you. More uh, Pete Dye fun. So picture that, but with steel uh, railroad tie looking thing staring you in the face as well for that shot. And then there's some other things that I just I jotted down that I could remember that were different about. Uh, golf courses just in terms of features um, we play teeth of the dog every year they have a landing strip on the 18th hole um, used to be where private planes would fly into the resort uh, but they've kept the landing strip there uh, on that hole places there's places around the world where you have to hit over a road on a tee shot uh, just saw a video or someone doing that at a place called White Bear Yacht Club. Um, and then Joe informed me that it's at one of the most famous courses in the world. You have to do that as well, right? Uh, something called the Cypress Point Club in Pebble Beach, California. As if you're not nervous enough at the prospect of actually getting to play Cypress Point, your very first golf shot, you tee off over a hedge and a road, an active road, this part of 17-mile drive. So you're thinking, I'd like to get it airborne, but if I don't, I pray I don't top it or skull it into somebody's windshield. So there you go, Cypress Point. Um, and uh, there are, again, numerous examples of having to hit shots over roads, but mostly the lawyers have taken over and said, we would prefer that you not hit shots over roads at at your golf course. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> um, and another one I can remember going out to Wilshire Country Club in Los Angeles, just in terms of something different at a golf course, there's a, a tunnel that you have to go under a road that has, it's it's so small that they have a, a light, like a red and green light that you know, turns green when it's clear, so it's your turn to go through. In fact, when they played a tournament there uh, on the LPGA as well, uh, it was just big enough to fit a golf cart. And if you happen to hang a leg outside, you might lose a couple digits, is, is kind of what we were told, uh, advised against uh, anything outside the confines of the golf cart if you're going to take one through there. I'd never seen anything like that before, but yeah, that, that was just that stuck out in my mind and always has about that place. That's one of those things where you do have um, individual features or memorable aspects of a given hole uh, that are off the charts. You know, yes, stay in the cart, 
or you may lose a limb. Okay, I, I can do that. Yep, I'll, I'll try my best. Um, you know, well, there are still a whole category of golf courses in particular that are unconventional just by the number of holes they have. You remember we talked at the beginning of this podcast about the standard being 18 holes because that's what St. Andrews wound up with. Um, and we all grew up on nine hole courses, whether regulation or par three. But we've encountered a serious trend on golf courses that are not nine or 18 holes. And that's actually been kind of fun. Will be interesting to see if it continues, but based on available space and the time people have to play golf these days, we're seeing golf courses of fewer than 18 holes, but more than nine. And um, it's been a lot of fun exploring some of those. My personal favorite out of those uh, is a club, private club in uh, near Park City, Utah, called Red Ledges. And uh, the reason I'm partial to it, they have a 12-acre golf park designed by Jack Nicholas. And Jack designed their 18-hole championship course, which is pretty tough. I mean, this is classic Nicholas, gorgeous and challenging. And so what about the rest of the community um, with people with kids and, and uh, you know, less skilled players? They built a 12-hole golf park with basically double greens. And there's one cup that is conventional size, four and a half inches, four and a quarter inches. Um, and then an eight inch cup, which was briefly a trend about 10 or 15 years ago. Love the fact that they still have it. Jack said he borrowed from Top Golf in designing contours that funnel the ball toward the green and at times toward the hole to maximize enjoyment. Um, and, and that's what he intended to do with that. And so for folks that all they want is to have fun on their golf round uh, with an eight inch cup as a choice. I mean, it's just fantastic. And yeah, there are a bunch of other fun rounds of golf, typically par three courses that are more than nine, less than 18. Do you have a few favorites of your own? That red ledges is about as unconventional as it gets, really, with the different size cups, too. Um, yes, I do. In fact, um, more than nine and less than nine as well. Um, or less than the, 18. Oh, less than nine? Less yeah, than nine, right. too. Yeah, you talk. there's a, a course called Mint Valley in Washington. That's a six-hole course, uh, par three. You've got Mountaintop there at Big Cedar Lodge. Gary Player designed 13-hole par 3. Uh, Quick Sands, the new par 3 course at Gamble Sands, is 14 holes. And the Sandbox and was uh, at Sand Valley, 17 holes. Uh, as our friend Brad Klein put it, uh, yeah, they did it just to be difficult. Right. And then <laughs> going back... Yeah, then going back to... Um, Sylvie's Valley Ranch. Uh, there's a they have a nine hole par three course there. They also have a seven hole short course with five par threes, two par fours. And if oh, you like, right. yeah, I'm sorry, Al. That that's McVeigh's Gauntlet. Correct, correct. That was um, that was the one where they use goats for caddies. Yeah, I was just about to say that. You can take a goat 
uh, around that track. They'll carry your clubs and a few drinks as well, if you like. Yeah, it's uh, I love the trend. Uh, Bandon Preserve, of course, with Coor Crenshaw's 13-hole par-3 course. Just a spectacular second round in a day, if you will, um, to be able to play those par-3s, a lot of variety. Of course, Tiger Woods' design and, uh, and his team have kind of uh, settled on uh, 10-hole golf courses with Bo Welling, you know, assisting in that endeavor. And, um, you know, again, there's reasons for 10 and not 9, but it just sets them apart. And it's kind of fun, you know, no matter how you play them, uh, that that it's a number, again, whether less than 9, more than 9, less than 18. And uh, they're, they're memorable for that reason alone. Yeah, and you talk about a um, couple other couple others that have 10 i think the nest now at cabot cape breton has 10 and the one you mentioned at blue jack national it's called playgrounds that's the 10 hole par three again this is a conversation we could kind of just keep going down the rabbit hole if we wanted to uh and talk about things that are different unique about certain places uh for now i think we've kind of you know, covered our list. So would definitely love to to hear from any of our listeners. Uh, reach out to us on social media at Links Magazine uh, on any of our social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and let us know um, things that you've seen that weren't quite normal or were very different than anything else you've seen on a golf course before. And with that, I think that should wrap up you and I's job today, Joe, on a chilly December morning. Well, Al, it's uh, been fun talking unconventional courses with you today. Maybe next time out, we'll go back to some conventional courses that we enjoy, but it's great getting off the beaten path and, uh, and look at some of these examples, which just shows the incredible variety that golf embraces. You know, tennis has a few different surfaces, that's about it. The dimensions are exactly the same. So is basketball. So is American football and so forth. And one of the great aspects of golf is just vive la difference. It's a great game in and of itself, but it's also you celebrate the difference and the variety. Sure. And there are replica courses. We didn't even get to those as a, a type of unusual golf course that has... Next time multiple replicas of holes all over the world that's that's another story in, entirely but uh no two courses really are exactly the same which makes it so great uh that's why i've always loved golf and going new places so thanks joe for the the talk the info and we'll figure out another crazy unusual topic to talk about next time i'm quite sure Sounds good, Al. Happy holidays to you and to everyone at Lynx and to all of our listeners out there. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs>